0: before we uh, jump right into the sermon I a couple of quick things to, could go updates here um, first off women's retreat it is going to be the where'd my book go it is going to be the uh, the last Sunday to sign up for women's retreat so if you haven't signed up yet make sure you sign up all right out in the foyer right out here the women's table um, it's coming soon March so make sure that if you haven't you know already because you know Holidays, everything going on. You just came back, and you're like, "Well, I want to go." Make sure you go out there today and sign up um, and uh, to be a part of that. And if you'd like, if you would like also to um, support that, um, every year we have people who can't afford to go. If you'd like to be a part of supporting someone who's not able to uh, to go, uh, you can go to the table as well and uh, you can you can donate there, so they have some extra funds to give scholarships to people who can't afford it. The other thing is, we're going to be starting. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have two sermons starting next week and the week after leading up to our our, our sermon series, 40 Days in the Word, that's coming in February. I, I've been looking so forward to doing this, this sermon series because for the last year or so, all through 2011, it's a sermon series that I had in my head that I just felt was so important for us to do as a church, to really look at the Word of God and, you know, how do you study the Word of God? And, and you know, some people... Uh, You know, we talk about things in the Christian, in the church, and sometimes people go, I don't really know, I, I know the words that are coming out of your mouth, but I don't understand how to do that. So 40 Days in the Word is really going to be an exciting time for us to come together as a church and study the Word of God, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week in our life groups. We have two new life groups that are starting. We have one on Tuesday nights and one on Sunday morning, second service. So if you would like to be a part, it's going to be six weeks long, six-week series. So being a part of these life groups doesn't mean you're in them forever. You maybe want to stay in a life group. That's totally fine as well. But this is just a six-week commitment. I want to encourage everyone. I'd like to see 100% participation in the life groups or impact groups within Grace Chapel. But, you know, we'll, we'll get there. And I want to encourage you that if uh, if you if you have not connected to a life group yet Maybe this six weeks would be a good time to kind of get your feet wet to connect with more people We've grown by like a hundred folks in the last like four or five months at Grace Chapel and um, That's a great thing But part of the problem is that a lot of people come in and they don't get they don't feel like they're at home They don't feel connected to anyone else Sunday mornings is great for this interaction but sometimes not for this interaction, back and forth. So the life groups is where you see that happen. Serving here, being a part of the life groups, that's where it's going to happen. We also have our iChurch that has started last week. It's our membership class on uh, Wednesday nights at 6.30. If you missed the first one, you can come to the second. I'll just make up the first one for you if you missed that one. So if you signed up and didn't make it, don't worry about it. Come this week, 6.30, and I'll make sure that we do a make-up one for the first one. All right, I think that's everything I've got there. Yep, boom, boom. All right, good. This morning, we are going to continue our series, actually the last part of the series, um, for our Follow the Leader. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses... 13 through 21 as we continue and actually conclude our series on follow the leader So I want you to listen to what peter says in first peter chapter 3 verses 13 through 21. He says Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear Do not be frightened but in your heart set aside set apart christ as lord Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. But he, but he, he was put to death In the body, but made alive by the spirit through whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, before we get into anything else here, we really need to think about the the people that Peter is writing to and what they're going through. I mean, what are the circumstances of the life? What are, they, what are they dealing with? What are the challenges that they're dealing with? See, I believe that these verses here in, in 1 Peter make it clear that the issue that they're dealing with is the fact that they're being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Because they've made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior, they're being persecuted. In verse 15, it, it makes it clear to us that they're being, they're being questioned. I mean, aggressively questioned. And they're young believers, so I'm sure it's very difficult for them to kind of stand up under the kind of probably not-so-nice questioning that they're dealing with. And then in verse 16, it says that they're being slandered. So they're being slandered by those around them because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So if we jump very quickly, just for a moment, I want to jump to verse 20. Um, in verse 20, it makes it, I, I really believe that Peter is laying this out. He goes back to the days of, of Noah, and I believe he's laying this out because he wants, them to see, he wants to show his readers a parallel between themselves and Noah and his family. If you think about it, before the flood, there weren't many, very many righteous people running around, basically, eight, okay? Not a lot of righteous people. So he's trying to make a parallel here between what they're dealing with in their culture and all the things that they're going through and, and the people before the flood. They lived before the flood in an age of disobedience. There were people who mocked. you remember? I mean, can you imagine building the ark and people just mocking and laughing and questioning? And, and he's trying to make that parallel. We need to keep in mind that the theme of this book is built around the fact that, that Peter's audience is is ba- they're basically aliens. They're spiritual aliens and exiles in the, in the world because of their faith in Jesus Christ, because they put their hope in Jesus Christ and they were born again in Christ. They have become strangers in their own homeland. They've become aliens in the, without even leaving their homes. They haven't even leave, left their homes and they've become aliens because they no longer will live according to the system of this world. So before, when they were kind of mixed in with everyone, it was no problem whatsoever. They were all going to get along because they went along with the systems of this world. But all of a sudden, they become followers of Jesus Christ, and they no longer will follow the systems of this world because they have a biblical worldview, and they're following their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that that causes a problem within, within their culture. So like Noah, they're a minority... Seeking after God, seeking to honor God in an age of disobedience while God waits patiently. So they're going through the same type of thing here. Anyone who has given their life to Jesus Christ and who is willing to follow Jesus Christ will go through suffering. That's all there is to it. Can't avoid it. You say, well, I don't go through much suffering. If you... Ask Christ to come into your life, and if you live your life for Jesus Christ, you will be in some way persecuted. It's unavoidable. It's completely unavoidable. In many many forms, it comes through, um, you you think, well, if I come to Jesus Christ and I live for Christ, it's going to come from the enemy, whoever they are out there in the world. But the reality is sometimes it comes from your friends, and sometimes it comes from your, 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 your family, I mean, the people that you're living with. Sometimes it comes from co-workers, sometimes it comes from neighbors, maybe it's your employer, whoever there's there's all kinds even you know what even happens even within the church. If a person comes to know Christ, depending on the church, sometimes they, they start to live for Jesus and those around them like, hey, calm down, slow down. This is a religion. We're all kind of coming here, but you're getting a little radical on us. And so they get persecuted by those around them who aren't really living their lives for Christ. They're just kind of they're, they're using words but not really living it in their hearts. And so you find persecution even within the church. In so many ways, some subtle, and, and some not so subtle, there are always, there's always friction when you think about this. There's friction when you try to live out your new life in your old world, right? Think about that. You got saved this past summer, a few summers ago, and then you went back to school, a different person. Man, that's difficult. You got saved and you went back to work and your boss wants you to do the same things you were doing before, but you can't do that anymore because you know it's unethical and you just won't do it but he they don't understand that you're the same you come to work and he wants you to do this and you can't do it and so there's persecution i remember i grew up in uh, most of my childhood i grew up in the new city garden apartments in new york lower income apartments very challenging place to live, to say the least. Some of the things that I witnessed late at night looking out my window as a kid, I was like, wow, you know, that's incredible. And I just, you know, so it was a very challenging place to live, It became even more challenging though, when I, and I asked Christ to come into my life because I started to change. And my friends didn't really understand the change that I was going through. They had known me for so many years and we were going to do the exact same thing. And I didn't want to do the same thing anymore because now I had Christ living in my life. I I started, you know, going to youth group and going to church and I no longer would get drunk with them. They didn't understand that. I was, you know, I was probably the leader of the pack when it comes to that kind of stuff. And I no longer would do it. And, And I wouldn't curse anymore. I tried not to. That was, I tell you, giving up drinking was one thing. Giving up cursing was totally different. Because that was my my Achilles heel right there. And where I grew up, everybody used foul language for, you know, the F word described everything, F this, F that, you know. And it was very difficult. I didn't speak for the first three months going to church. They thought I was shy. They actually thought I was shy. I wasn't shy. I was just afraid to open my mouth because I was going to blur something out with all these church people. And they'd be like, man, what happened? So after like four or five, six months, they realized, this guy's not really shy. What happened in the first few months? First few months, I was afraid to talk because it was always foul language. My friends, it was difficult for them. So the place that I called home, that apartment complex that I called home, the place that I that was my comfort zone, I became an alien in my own homeland. I became an alien in my own country, in my own comfort zone. Things change completely. It is difficult. Either it's subtle or not so subtle, it is difficult when you change, when you become a new creation and you try to live in your old world. Your, your, your friends sometimes react negatively to that. So Peter's addressing this kind of suffering. But I believe this passage goes on to talk about even, even suffering in general, the general suffering that we go through in our lives. Maybe it's a relationship issue that, that you're going through and you're suffering through. Maybe it's, maybe it's your finances that you've been suffering through and you don't really know how to handle it. Handle those. Maybe it's a past issue in your life that you've been struggling with and you're you're trying to overcome, but it keeps coming back up and and causing you suffering and pain, the behavior of someone else in the past or some event that happened in your life. You know, all those things. Maybe it's something in your present that you're dealing with now that you're really struggling through. I believe that Peter here is talking to us about suffering even in general and the things that we go through. So the question is what can Peter say to his readers and to us as we face some of the difficulties, some of the challenges, some of the suffering that we go through in our own lives. Well, look back with me at to verses 14 and 15, if you will. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Look at Peter's advice here. Okay, it's not tone it down. Oh, just you know, you're in a, you're in a different culture you just just tone it down you know it's okay you're you love jesus you know you make your faith it wasn't he didn't say just make it personal you know when we we accept we have a relationship with god it's a personal thing it's between us and god do not have to worry about anybody else it's just a personal just keep it to yourself that's not what he tells him he doesn't tell him to shrink back he doesn't tell him to run away he doesn't tell him to get even well what we'll, you know what we'll get together in the church we'll devise a plan and we'll you know, burn the guy's house down who persecuted you. He doesn't say, get even. He doesn't say, you know, go after them. He doesn't say to ignore them. He doesn't say to, you know, to give up. He doesn't say any of those things. This is what he says. In your hearts, set aside Christ as Lord. So his readers are being persecuted mercilessly here. And that's his advice. That's what he's telling them. You know, if you watching people, people die and people go through all these things and he says, set aside Christ as Lord. Uh, You know, I'll tell you what you think. Well, that's all he said. That is. Well, he said a lot of things, but that's what he said in this context. And that's the best advice he could possibly give them. This is the best advice he could give them as they wrestle with the reality of suffering for their faith. Peter is pushing them and focusing them back on Jesus Christ, the author of their faith, the object of their faith. And he does it throughout the book of Peter. Look in in chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I'll read it to you. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, though for now, for a little while you may you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So he's saying, you know what, your grief is short-lived. Suffering is short-lived. This this life is not long, okay? And even in this life, if we live live our lives for Jesus Christ, God will be honored even in our suffering. God will be glorified. God will be praised even through our suffering. Verse 8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls." When you follow Jesus Christ, you, you earn something that no the world cannot offer. You earn something in eternal, eternal rest with him, eternal glory with him. Your life is transformed on earth and then transformed once again beyond what you can imagine once you get to heaven. And not only that, but God can use your suffering here while you're here on earth. Look at chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. He went on to encourage the slaves. He's not encouraging slavery, okay? But it's just there. He's not, he can't do anything about it. So he's encouraging the slaves how to handle themselves when they're being mistreated by their masters. And this is what he says. Peter tells them, But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were also called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His footsteps. You know what? We are followers of Jesus Christ. People say, "Oh, you know, I want to get deep with Jesus." Do you know, Pastor, we need to go deep, and we got to go deep. You know where? The, you know where depth in, of? The, you know where depth leads you in Christianity? It leads you to the cross, to a naked man hanging on a cross who died and suffered for us and then says, come and follow me. He said, if you don't suffer with me, you won't reign with me. There's no way that any of us are going to get through this fallen world without suffering. I'm, I, I, I don't. I hate saying that, but it's the reality. The question is then, how do we deal with suffering? Whether you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in your life or you don't, you are going to suffer. If you don't, you suffer with absolutely no purpose. You shake your fist, you die in misery, and you're just ticked at everyone that you had to go through this. If you have Jesus Christ, though, you focus on Him, and God uses the things that we go through to glorify Himself, to strengthen you, to help you become the person you were created to be there's purpose in your suffering if your focus is on jesus christ and then here again in chapter 3 peter tells them to turn their eyes turn the eyes of their heart to jesus verse 15 but in your heart set aside christ as lord so what does it mean to set aside christ as lord and how does that affect our everyday lives as we're going through the challenges and the suffering that we face all the time well in this context Peter is contrasting he's making a contrast here He's contrasting fearing the opposition Okay, do not be frightened by them. Don't be afraid of what they're afraid of Don't be frightened by the things of this world If the people who are persecuting the christians went through the same persecution They'd be terrified because they have no hope they have no strength anywhere else They wouldn't be able to endure it. He's saying listen, don't be frightened by what they're frightened by Don't be afraid Because you, because basically the word of God says, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body alone. Be afraid of the one who killed the body and the soul. But don't be afraid of what they're afraid of. So he's contrasting between between being afraid of your adversaries, your opposition, and setting aside Christ as Lord of your life. Those are the two, those are your two, those, those where he's, he's, he's got opposing views here. He's saying, do not be concerned about this. Don't be afraid of what they're afraid of. Because if here's basically the bottom line, Peter, Peter, is challenging his readers. He wants them to find out who is in charge of their lives. Who's in charge? Who do they see as having power in their lives? Because if they see the opposition as having power, if we see the opposition as having power in our lives, then we're going to live a life of fear. That's all there is to it. We're going to be fearful. We're going to shrink back. But if we see Jesus Christ as having power in our lives, that is going to build and strengthen our faith. So Peter's concerned. Who who do you see as having the power in your life? Who are you giving that to? If you give it, if you focus your life on Jesus Christ, setting him aside as Lord of your life, then you're, gonna, you're not going to be fearful. You're going to be bold. You're going to challenge. But if you let the opposition, if you focus on the opposition and you're saying, these are the people that have a power in my life, then you're going to live a life of fear. So he says, look first to Jesus. And if you look first to Jesus, then you will strengthen your faith. So what the, what is it, what does it mean? to look first to jesus christ well it, it it means living our lives in the reality of who he is and what he has done in our lives who he is Again, going back to the word, how, we, how, do we, how are we truly going to grasp all these things and own these things in our lives if we don't truly understand who Jesus Christ is? How do you find out who Jesus Christ is? By reading the word of God, by studying the word of God, by understanding the word of God. When you understand who Jesus is and you understand what Jesus has done in your life, you will not fear the opposition. If you don't know who he is, if you don't truly understand how he works in your life, And you go through suffering and difficulty, you shrink back and and you basically get consumed with fear of what possibly could happen to you in your life. So Peter goes on throughout the rest of this section to tell us why we should why we should set apart Christ as Lord and, and how that should dictate our response to suffering. Set aside Christ as Lord. And then how how should that dictate our response to suffering? So let's look at that first of all. We honor Christ as Lord in light of his righteous and redemptive suffering. If you have a pen, write that down. We honor Christ as Lord in light of his righteous and redemptive suffering. If you understand this theological concept, it will change your life this morning. Your life will be changed. If you understand suffering in light of his redemptive and righteous suffering. Look at the first half of verse 18 again here. For Christ Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Now let's remember again the context in verse 17. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Think about it. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus suffered for doing good. He suffered for doing good. One difference here. Jesus suffered not striving for righteousness, but as one who was perfectly righteous. Righteous. So Jesus wasn't striving through his suffering for righteousness, which is what we should be doing. He was perfectly righteous. He suffered. All his suffering was purposeful. He suffered for the unrighteous. To bring them closer into a relationship with God. So he suffered so that we could be brought back into a relationship with God. Righteous and redemptive suffering. Jesus died on the cross and his death had purpose. That he redeemed those for God. That we can now be in a personal relationship with God. So what Jesus went through in suffering has a specific purpose. It's purposeful. So now he takes us from unrighteous to righteous. So his suffering takes us from unrighteous to righteous. That's why we can be called a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. I love hearing that. But I can only hear that because of Jesus suffering on the cross and taking me from an unrighteous place before I was 18 years old and bringing me to a righteous place after I was 18 and I came to know him as Lord and Savior so that I can be said. They said, well, who are you? I knew who I am. I am a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. I belong to God. Why? Because Christ suffered and it was a righteous and redemptive suffering. It was a purposeful suffering. It was purposeful. Now, track with me on this one. If Peter wants his readers to take their marching orders from Jesus Christ, if that's what he wants to do, follow the leader, if that's what he wants them to do, then 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 they, they need to understand. They need to understand that their suffering and be encouraged that their suffering can also can also be righteous and redemptive. What you and I go through can also be righteous and redemptive. we're following in the footsteps of Jesus and his, his suffering was righteous and redemptive, drew us all into a relationship with God and allowed us to have purpose in our lives, then what you go through, if you follow in the footsteps of Jesus, can be righteous and redemptive suffering as well. You can use what has happened in your life to draw others into a relationship with God, to change the people around you, to change the world around you, not only change yourself and your own heart, but change the other people that you influence every day of your life. Righteous and redemptive suffering. In other words, again, if I suffer, if I go through suffering for doing what is good, I can help transform the lives of others. My suffering has purpose, and it has an eternal purpose, not just on this earth. Because of what I've been through, if I stand up for Jesus Christ, God will use my suffering to draw other people to Him who will then, their lives will be transformed. They will change. They will then influence other people so when you get to heaven and stand before God and he lays out what you've done in your life you're going to be he's going to say look at the people and roll them through throughout history that you have totally transformed because as you went through suffering you made it righteous and redemptive and you transformed the lives of people all around you instead of shaking your fist at God whining and moaning the whining thing if you have money from complaining from last week there's the box over there I lost like five bucks before I left church last week all about football too I'll tell you, we, we do take stock transfers for some of you, okay? Um, <laughs> but, you know, you can, you can either whine about it, you think about it. Well, you know, I don't really like it. I don't like suffering at all. I don't need to give me God and throw God in the equation. I'm mad at God. Well, you know what G.K. Chesterton said, you can turn away from God, but in heaven's name to what? You suffer for nothing without Christ. If you don't have a relationship with God, your suffering is completely meaningless. But God says you're not, your suffering is not meaningless, It is not meaningless because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross righteous and redemptive and because we follow in his footsteps our suffering can be righteous and redemptive and I can use every bad experience. Everything I've been through in my life to glorify him. If I stand up under it, if I stand up under it and realize that I have to have an eternal perspective that God can use what I'm going through. He is not happy that you're going through it. You're not happy that you're going through it. But in reality, you realize that even the difficult things in life can be used by God. All things do work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So it's righteous and redemptive. We suffer for a purpose, for an eternal purpose. And I I want to introduce you to a person, Stan Elder is going to come up here and share his testimony of a person who's living this out in their lives right now, because we can talk about it, but I want you to hear from someone who's actually experiencing it day to day and to see how God has used Stan's suffering in a way that is righteous and redemptive.
1: Um about uh, a year and four months ago, um, I was having some problems swallowing. And um, I went to the doctor, and they, they ran some tests on me. And um, uh, they found out that I had a tumor um, in my esophagus right close to my stomach. And um, they um, did a biopsy of it, and it, it ended up being cancer. Um when I the cancer of the esophagus, when I when I found this out for a few days I have to admit that that I was I was scared, um, sometimes a little angry, but I mainly I was just I was confused. I I remember asking God God I didn't I didn't think you were done that you were done with me yet, that I thought there was more that you wanted me to do. And um then, after a few days, God just began, and, and really over this past year or so, began to reveal to me what a blessed life I've had so far, and that I have now, and um, I was so blessed that he He loved me so much that that he gave his son so that I could have eternal life. He, um, he gave me... A, he gave me the most wonderful wife in the world that, that loves me more than, than I understand. Um, he's given me three children that all three have come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He's, he's given me this church that during these difficult times, many here have been praying for me He's, he's let me be involved in a life group uh, at the boys' house where I'm encouraged and prayed for all the time. He's given me Pastor Jeff who took time to pray for me and to anoint me with oil and, and continues to pray for me regularly, Lord. I'm so thankful for that. One day I was telling Jeff that my family. Now, you got to understand that my family. Uh, most of them are in Florida. I've got four brothers in Florida, and it's kind of a dysfunctional family. They they um, they they aren't as close as I sure wanted them to be, and I, that I know that their mother and father would have wanted them to be. But they, when they found this out about me, they took it pretty hard. But every one of them told me that they were going to pray for me. Now, I want to tell you something. These are people that I never saw pray in my life. But they said that they were going to pray for me. And I remember coming to Jeff and telling him that, that my brothers had come and told me that they were going to pray for me. And Jeff says, Stan, when people that don't know God start praying, miraculous things happen. Well, that's what's going on. My second oldest brother, who the only way I know how to describe him is, is in his life he's been a rascal. Um, he, he called me and, and he told me that, that he'd been praying for me. And the near, near Christmas of last year, he told me that uh, he, was, um, he was starting to read his Bible. Um, later on, he called me and told me that he was, he was going to be talking to a friend of his and asking him if he would show him in the Word what it would take to be saved. So now I have a brother that I'm going to see in heaven, um he's he calls me on a regular basis and we he shares things that he's learned in the bible he's over this past year he's read the bible cover to cover and then he's now reading the second time through the new testament um again as i told you what my family's like um i i wasn't brought up in a family that did much praying or Matter of fact, I was brought up in a family that, when my wife and I were dating one time, um, I had a little brother that I had a little brother that kind of asked her some questions because she was a Christian and I wasn't. Um, asked some questions about what she believed in the Bible, and my dad stopped her and said, "We don't talk about God in this house." So, this is this is where I come from, but. But now, not only my, bro- my second oldest brother has come to know the Lord, my brother is just older than me, who, who actually did become a Christian probably 25 years ago, but just kind of put it on the shelf. And for about 20 years, hadn't been to church, hadn't, hadn't wanted to open his Bible or anything, has turned around and rededicated his life and is excited about his christianity. So I just want you to know that that God has has truly blessed me. He's blessed me with seven grand hit during this time I had seven grandchildren that I love so very much. Matter of fact, when I went through the I had to go through surgery for this and re- removed part of my esophagus. I have about 2 inches of esophagus left and and he uh he allowed me. There was concern that my youngest son was getting married not too long after I went into the hospital, that I might not be able to be at the wedding. But he allowed me to get out in time and and be at my son's wedding. And then now, almost a year later, I have an eighth grandchild, um, Sarah Catherine. That's that's truly a blessing to me. Now. I tell people that that I've learned that I've I've had fifty eight years that I've been blessed, that God has blessed me. Some people I know probably wouldn't say that they had five, but I truly believe that. God has revealed to me all the blessings that He has He's bestowed on me. Now I believe that God's gonna gonna heal this and gonna take this cancer away from me. But you know, I may not. I may not have fifty nine years, but I may have ninety nine years. But no matter what, I'm going to praise him.
0: See, that is having an eternal perspective. That is righteous and redemptive suffering where you can look at your family and see the lives of your entire family change because of the way you're living out your Christian life. Because you're living on a biblical worldview and you're going through a difficult time, but you're saying Lord use this in my life Of course, you're gonna struggle you're going to, we're all gonna go through why Lord and but at the end of the day You have a man like Stan who is who's standing up and, and using his suffering in such a righteous and redemptive way that people You know my brother. I'm gonna spend eternity with my brother now That's an eternal perspective knowing that you're going to spend an eternity with someone, looking at it from that point of view, understanding that you can transform the lives of the people in the hospital, you can transform the lives of the people in your family, you can transform the lives of your friends, your coworkers, all those people around you as you go through this difficulty. And I'm not making light of it. That is, We don't know what's going to happen to us. And it's not fun to go through challenging circumstances in our lives. But as we go through that, Peter is saying, take those circumstances, and focus on Jesus Christ, and make your suffering righteous and redemptive. This is what it says in First Peter two twelve. It says, "Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us." You know. To do this, we need to have that eternal perspective. We can talk about this all day long, but if you don't have an eternal perspective, you will not have the spiritual maturity to do what we're talking about here. We need to see our suffering as an opportunity for God, to, for God to shine through us, and for God to use our faith as we go through this to lead other people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to so shine Him through our lives. And where He shines the most is when you're going through something where everyone else would be saying, I don't understand how you can have this attitude while you're going through such and such or so and so. I don't understand how you can go through all of this, suffer through all of this and still have the attitude that you have. That, my friends, is transformational. They can't argue against reality. They would be suffering beyond their wildest dreams. They can't even, you know, that God gives you uh, God gives you something, uh, you know, that the Holy Spirit puts something in your life beyond what you can possibly comprehend. Others can't comprehend that you can even deal with it because you do deal with it in such a righteous way. They are redeemed. They are pulled into a relationship with God. This is righteous and redemptive suffering. It doesn't end there. Listen to verse 18. For Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. See, as they deal with the challenges of their own suffering, they need to keep in mind that Jesus Christ suffered in the ultimate suffering and he died on a cross. They need to keep in mind as they go through the suffering, the person that they're following, the one that we follow, suffered the ultimate sacrifice to the point of death. We need to understand what he did. And when we understand what he did, it gives us courage and strength. We realize that not even death can stop the power of God. Not even death could get in the way of God's plan for the life of Jesus Christ. Not even death, if we live our lives in such a way, not even death, can stop us. Our suffering becomes righteous and redemptive. God works through it in such a powerful way that the world looks at it and says, how can this be? How can this be? Now, it also talks about the fact that he was made alive through the spirit. This isn't talking about the spirit, the the human spirit, because we know that when the body dies, the spirit does not die with the body, so it doesn't have to be made alive. What he's talking about is being made alive through the Holy Spirit of God. As we go through all of this, God will make us alive. This Holy Spirit will make us alive. In Jesus' case, Jesus Christ died on the cross and he was raised. He was resurrected to a new and transformed life. And so as we follow in his footsteps, we who suffer with him, we who know him, will be raised up to a new and transformed life as well. And for those who are going through a difficult time right now and the older you get, maybe you don't think about it when you're younger, the older you get, the more you realize how short life really is and how important it is to know at the end of your life, if you live your life in such a way that you honor Jesus Christ and you have that relationship with him, that you're going to be raised up to new life. You're going to have a transformed body. First Corinthians 1549 tells us. And just as, as, as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. One day we will all be made alive in the spiritual realm by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our, this is life is temporary. And I know you go through suffering. We live in a fallen world it keeps on coming. But one day it will end. Because of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives, he will transform. We will be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We will have a new and transformed body. Our bodies will be raised up like Jesus. And we will be transformed. We will be living a new life. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, but we, but, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Now I'm going to kind of, just from time's sake, I'm going to kind of skip down a little bit here. Peter talks about the, in the days of Noah. He goes back in verses in 20, 20 and 21, and he says this. He says, Who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. But this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He wants his readers to know that no matter what they're going through, and I want you to know this, no matter what you're going through, what you've suffered what circumstances are in your life, he wants you to know, no matter how strong the opposition is, that our God will rescue us from all of these things. Our God will not leave us. Like in the days of Noah, God rescued them and For all of us who go through suffering, for all of us who go through trials and tribulations, for all of us who are going through something right now, God will rescue his people. Peter, uh, Peter tells us that, that, that baptism is what symbolizes this salvation through water. He talks about it here in the Word. Through baptism, we died in Christ, and we will be raised up, and we will be preserved because of Christ's resurrection. It's a reminder to us once again. It's a reminder that we will be rescued just like Noah through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a comforting reminder Listen, God can use your suffering right now if you make it redemptive and righteous suffering. God can use it to transform lives. Not only that, God will not leave you or abandon you. He will rescue you. You will spend eternity with him. God will bring you to through all that you're dealing with now and he will redeem all of that and you will receive all that he has for you as you continue to live your life for him. Death couldn't hold him. Suffering couldn't stop him. Death will not hold us and suffering will not even stop us if we continue to focus on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Each one of us need to realize that we live in a fallen world. We're surrounded by people with a sinful nature. And because of that, you will continue to go through difficulties. It's just reality. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. This world is filled with difficulty and suffering. The question is for you this morning and for me this morning, how are we going to live within this world of difficulty. How are we going to deal with our suffering? Is our suffering going to have value? Are we going to live a righteous and redemptive suffering? Are we going to shake our fists and whine and moan with no purpose whatsoever? That's the question we have to answer. Peter is saying, don't focus on the opposition and what they can do and what they're saying and how. What, when I'm opposition, I'm talking about everything you have to deal with in your life. Let's, let's bring into our context. Don't focus your attention. Don't be afraid of all of this. Don't give that power in your life. Focus your attention on Jesus Christ, making Him Lord of your life. And if you do that, you will find strength in your life to overcome the suffering that you face. And on top of that, God will use it to transform the lives of others. If not, you'll live a life of fear, shrinking back, and finding that everything you go through has no value whatsoever. And you live your life, and at the end of your life, you're laying there on your deathbed asking yourself, what was it all about? What was it all about? I want to encourage you this morning to lift up Jesus Christ as Lord, to not be discouraged by everything that you go through, to see it through the lenses of Jesus Christ, his ultimate sacrifice, bringing us from unrighteous to righteous, redemptive and righteous suffering. Live your life with righteous and redemptive suffering so that you can transform those around you and be transformed yourself. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the testimony. The reality of those who love you living this out in their own lives. Father, we love you. And we know, Lord, we would, we would be dishonest if we say we didn't, we didn't struggle when we go through difficulties and we go through suffering. But I pray, dear God, that you give us an eternal perspective, that we be able to see our suffering in light of your Son, Jesus Christ, in light of what you can do through it, so that when we suffer, Lord, there's purpose, there's eternal purpose, and we can stand up under it. As we focus our attention on your son, Jesus Christ, we focus our eyes on the author and perfect of our faith and not on those who would bring suffering into our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.